0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening again, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. And this is your Wednesday episode, day three feel like I want to etch these in the off-season wall. Day three of the NBA regular season off-season. Day two of the play-in tournament. And we rumble along. I have thoroughly enjoyed the first two off-season shows we've done so far. I just, I get such a kick. There's a little bit of a narcissistic element to it where I just love listening to my own brain spill out ideas out loud into a microphone and that's kind of what you guys are stuck with during the off season. but thank you to everybody that has continued to listen thus far i hope you guys will stick with me for the off season. this is when we do all of our this is kind of when we do the dirty work you know in any anyway, event uh i'm dan bespris thanks so much for listening again you can follow me on twitter at dan bespris d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s I have been given the green light to drop some pretty sweet my bookie prizes on anyone who has not yet signed up for an account. So if you're anywhere in North America, U.S. or Canada, uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Just say, hey, at Dan Bespris, heard you had a prize for me. You can't have an account. Or, honestly, you could have one, and then maybe your spouse doesn't have one, or... Your aunt or uncle or brother or mom or dad or something like that. All of that is fine. I'll give a prize to any one of them. I only need one of you to contact me, and we'll dole some of those goodies out. So that's our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Don't do anything without hitting me up first. It'll be really easy. I'll need like three pieces of information from you, and then I'll get you a prize. Kablammo. I got three or four of those this week. The off season tis upon us. This is a HoopBall presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website at Hoopball Fantasy. Yeah, we still got blurbs going during the offseason. We got a lot of stuff going on, actually. I was on a, a uh, upper management phone call yesterday in the afternoon where some ideas were tossed about for some pretty cool premium stuff that HoopBall's got coming up here during the offseason. What do we got coming up on today's episode of the show? That's a pretty reasonable question to ask because every off-season episode is a little bit weird. And you may have noticed the title. It is today a little bit of a continuation of yesterday's topic, which was, for those that have, ha- have missed the show so far this week, I'm guessing that's not a ton of you, but if you have, go back listen to them. They're, they're like 40 minutes apiece. We're not, we're not doing the hour-long stuff in the offseason. I'd rather just break it up into a couple episodes. If we, i got two hours of content, that's going to be three shows in the offseason, not two. <laughs> we got we to get through this thing after all. The uh, lesson on Monday was related to correlated player absences, things that were, that was something that was new this year in the COVID era, protocols, things of that nature, and, and how that might carry over into following seasons. And then yesterday, we did a little bit of a deep dive on how to draft related to two main criteria. And those were durability at the top. We're talking about basically the top 3 rounds, the first 36 players, or a guaranteed per game leap over ADP. And how that corresponded to the end of season totals. The corollary as Dan adjusts his bifocals. What's the what's the tec- technical definition for a corollary on a theory? think a corollary is technically like a side theory or a theorem it's just like a like an offshoot it's smaller less important anyway uh today's show is a corollary to yesterday's show that kind of deserve i thought it deserved its own discussion and that is a discussion of why on yesterday's show we focused so exclusively on that top 36 which was a bit of an arbitrary cutoff and that's not to say that it isn't accurate but if you wanted to extend it farther 40 45 50 whatever or if you wanted to cut it off sooner 28 30 like that doesn't really matter for our discussion the real separator is is this a is this a guy where them playing a game impacts your team in a positive manner And if you go by basketball monster and you look at the average performance, they catalog the top 216 players on a per game totals basis, whatever you're looking at. The guys that make a positive impact on your team this year on a per game basis was basically like top 75. And a lot of those guys near 75 were basically doing nothing. They were like, they were helping you tread water. It was good for your team because it was amassing stats. But it wasn't a massive positive impact thing. So, And that's why I kind of went top 36. Because now you're talking about guys that are actually starting to really put a dent into stuff. When they play a game, it's a really good thing for your fantasy team. But again, that extends basically down to 75. So if you want to do 75, that's fine. The big, the big point, the overarching point of why we focused on earlier round picks falls into the discussion of Roto versus head-to-head and how you draft. You might recall that on yesterday's show, I mentioned how when you're targeting these guys in that top 36, it is equally important for Roto and head to make sure that the guys you're getting are either, as we mentioned yesterday, hyper-durable or clobbering their ADP on a per-game basis. In Roto, you can actually lean ever so slightly to the clobbering their ADP on a per-game basis guys. So Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, guys of that ilk, where you're like, these guys are probably going to miss some games. Kyrie might take his birthday off. Kawhi's sitting the back-to-backs, and he'll probably have some other injury at some point along the way. These guys are going to miss 15 games, maybe more. But Kyrie's getting drafted at 20, and he's a top 10 per-game guy. So I only need him to play 75% of his games. Kawhi is going to get drafted at 12 or 13. He's going to be a top 5 per-game guy. I think he was number 6 this year. Which, you know, fine, whatever. It's like tied, I think, with James Harden, Embiid, and Kevin Durant. So there's a big jumble in there. Point is, these guys were almost guaranteed to beat their ADP on a per-game basis and miss games. You can get away with that easier in Roto than you can in head-to-head. And this is something that we've sort of glossed over during our regular season rumble through stuff. But it's part of today's discussion, which is why are those guys better for Roto than head-to-head? And why on yesterday's show did we focus so hard on guys at the top tier of fantasy basketball? I basically flipped a coin on which direction we should go first with this discussion, and I came up with, why is it more important to get the most durable guys in head-to-head? To to me, I thought this was a shorter discussion point, so we could sort of knock it out first. This is an easy one. In Roto, you have a games cap. In head-to-head, you have weekly numbers. Now, COVID was weird because when teams got games postponed, you were still going to get their stats later on. It was going to get moved around a little bit, which really was weird for head-to-head because you might have had a guy who played a ton of games in one week later in the season, but that dude sitting out and getting you zeros seven weeks prior lost you a week, probably lost you two or three categories where it might have only won you one later on. So it still hurt, but I don't want to get jammed up talking about COVID postponements. I want to talk about why the durable guys are so important in head-to-head. Well, because in head-to-head leagues, totals are basically the only thing that matters. Per game isn't that useful. In head-to-head, when guys miss games, that's it. You might be, if, if you have a full roster, if you have like 11 guys going on a 10-start roster there might be a day where one of your superstars is sitting a game out and you can plug in your 11th man but for the most part when Kawhi missed a game you just got zeros from that roster slot in your head-to-head league so Kawhi's totals totals get overlooked a lot i'm a big time roto guy So I often do gravitate more towards per-game numbers. Head-to-head players really should be looking at the totals ranks. Kawhi Leonard played 52 games. Yeah, his totals rank was still number 9. But if there was someone else you could have gotten around his neck of the woods, like this year, this this is going to sound crazy, but this year, in a head-to-head league, Rudy Gobert was more valuable than Kawhi Leonard. It's inarguable. There are times where you have injured list slots and Kawhi did have a couple of injuries where he was IL eligible, but all of his you know, back-to-back rest days, you couldn't sub him out. You couldn't throw him on your IL and pick up a top 115 streamer or whatever it turned out to be. Pick up Marcus Morris and plug him in there late in the season. You couldn't do that on the rest, rest, the rest days on back-to-backs. Call him rest-to-rest. Maybe that's the new term for it. When he was actually out for a week or two, Yeah, you could plug someone in there. So, you know, I guess you could make the argument that in head-to-head, it was Kawhi's 52 games plus like six or seven from some scrub. And maybe that gets you close. Maybe that puts you right on cap. But it seems insane to think that Kawhi, who was number six on a per-game basis, Rudy Gobert was number 23. Gobert was more valuable. In head-to-head leagues. In Roto leagues, Kawhi was more valuable. Because Rudy Gobert played 71 of his team's 72 games. So you got 71 games from Rudy Gobert out of the 72 in your center slot on your Roto games cap. And one game from a pickup. I don't know what you want to call a pickup in a 12-team league. Call it like top 120. Very safe. You can probably do better than that if you're really hustling. But call it like a top 120 uh, sort of guy. So go and and we're gonna do a little bit of math here. The top 120 guy that range this year was Justin Holiday, Devonte Graham, Derek Rose, Sergi Ibaka, Ricky Rubio. Those are the guys that ended near that Dorian Finney Smith, Kevin Herter. Those are the guys that hung out near the top 120. Those are guys you probably could find in general, someone putting up that type of value on a week-to-week basis on the waiver wire. So. Let's break out the calculator now, and I don't want to do all of this on air because it gets a little bit dry and a little bit dense. If you look at totals, and uh, Basketball Monster is actually a little bit tougher to pull this up on. You can pull it up on Yahoo um, a bit, a bit simpler. They'll actually line them up for you. If you look at totals from this year, Kawhi Leonard was number ten. Rudy Gobert was number seven on Yahoo. What did I say they were on Basketball Monster? Gobert was uh, seven. Kawhi was nine. So splitting hairs. What was the difference there? Michael Bridges. Yeah, Yahoo had Bridges higher for whatever reason. I don't. I don't fully understand that one, but whatever. That's where it is. Different sites have ever so slightly different algorithms. The fact remains that Gobert. Had 1,015 points, 961 rebounds, 89 assists, 40 steals, 190 blocks, 118 turnovers. Shot 67.5% from the field, 62.3% at the free throw line. Kawhi's totals this year, 51.2% from the field, 88.5 at the free throw line, 101 three-pointers, 1292 points, 337 rebounds, 269 assists, 81 steals, 21 blocks, and 105 turnovers on the year. Weird little footnote there. You'd think Kawhi Leonard... <laughs> would probably have had more turnovers this year than Rudy Gobert. He didn't by totals. Partially because Kawhi was really good at taking care of the basketball this year, just two turnovers per game, uh, but also because of the games gap. But things get a little murky in Roto because that's Rudy Gobert plus, let's just take one very average top 120 guy, not a specialist. Uh let me go back to my list of top 120 guys on air here so we actually have this all together. Um Dante DiVincenzo, I think was a very average guy near the, the around the top 120 range cuz uh, like Devonte Graham was more of a scoring assisting specialist. You could argue Justin Holiday was a pretty int- pretty average top 120 type of guy. But I kind of like DiVincenzo, uh or Trevor Ariza. These guys that just did like a little bit of everything, but not much. A little bit of everything but not, n- nothing great. Ariza did end the season pretty well, though. Uh, so DiVincenzo averaged 10.5 points per game, six boards, three assists, two three-pointers, a steal on not great percentages. Neither of them was particularly good. But, I mean, you could lean in any direction you want. This is all for uh, just goofball examples. Um, you could take Sergi Ibaka if you really wanted to take someone whose percentages were a little bit better. Like, it, it doesn't really matter which of these guys you pick. The point is we're going to take the same guy for both. So let's take DiVincenzo, who was basically 10-6-3 with a steal and two three-pointers and not good percentages. You add one DiVincenzo to Rudy Gobert, and his numbers change basically like this. The scoring goes up to 1,025. The rebounding goes up to 967. 65? I already forgot how many rebounds. No, 67. Uh, three assists and a steal, add on to uh, Rudy Gobert. So that's 92 assists, 41 steals, and then you know whatever fraction of a block or turnover you want to get into there. So that really doesn't change his value, almost at all, because it was only one game of DiVincenzo. It's not going to move him ahead of, by the way, it was Kyrie Irving, who was right in front of Gobert uh, by totals. But what if you add 20 DiVincenzos to Kawhi Leonard? That's where the Roto thing kicks in. Well, first and foremost, it would pull his percentages down. And Kawhi's percentages both being very good is part of his value. So we can't completely discount that part of it, but we could pick a different top 120 guy. It's just for this example. Kawhi's scoring would go from 1292. 20 DiVincenzos means we're adding about 210 points. So his 1292 becomes about 1,500 points. And 360 rebounds becomes 480 rebounds. Sorry, he had 340 rebounds, so 460 rebounds. And his 270 assists become 330 assists. And 81 steals become 101 steals. And the turnovers go from 105 to about 130 or so. That is a substantial jump. For Kawhi Leonard. There's no one that we can find that has numbers similar to that. So it's not an easy comparison to make. But suddenly, 52 of Kawhi plus 20 DiVincenzos, which we're calling your average fill-in player. By the way, the fill-in player should be better most days than top 120. That's, But again, we're using the same guy for both of these dudes, so... This actually favors Rudy Gobert. The better the pickup that you use in your example, the more it favors taking the high upside guy like a Kawhi Leonard in Roto. Does that move him past some of the other guys on this list? Absolutely. Absolutely. It most likely moves him from his current slot on Yahoo at 10, past Bridges, past Tatum, past Gobert, probably past Kyrie Irving, and I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of about Chris Paul at 5. It's hard to make that comparison, though, because Chris Paul had so many assists, and I, don't, I can't do that math in my head. But this is why you can go with the upside guy in Roto, because those 20 missed games get filled in with a slightly below-average player in head-to-head. They don't. In head-to-head, Gobert beat Kawhi Leonard. End statement. In Roto, Kawhi Leonard plus 20 fill-ins likely beats Rudy Gobert. But you know who doesn't? The upper-crest guy who didn't beat their ADP on a per-game basis and didn't play that many games. Those guys are harder to find in our list here because we're generally looking at guys near the upper part kevin durant who played 35 games this year great though he was in them 35 games is not enough he was number 84 by totals so yeah you have kevin durant uh plus f- this year it would have been 37 fill-in games from dante divincenzo whoever we're piling up in here so that only moves him to uh well, probably that puts him somewhere in the 50 range, if I had to guess. Like if you took Andrew Wiggins for an entire season. Not good enough. So that's why yesterday we talked about you draft either hybrid durable guys like a Rudy Gobert. There was, no, there was no issue with that. And then, you know, there's another discussion to be had about, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Rudy Gobert were not going at the same time on draft day. I'm not telling you at the 12th pick, take Rudy Gobert. I'm telling you in head-to-head at the 12th pick, you probably don't take Kawhi Leonard even though he beats his mark. You probably take Crap, I don't know that this year there was a better option. At least not someone that was going close to Kawhi. Not Jimmy Butler. Yeah, maybe I guess it's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was the better option there. Because he played 12 extra games over Kawhi Leonard. And then, like, Irving, Paul, Vooch, those guys were all going way later. And then if you look at the very top, Jokic, Curry, Dame, those guys were going earlier. So Kawhi's not the best example to say, here's the other guy you should have taken there. Um, or even Kyrie Irving. Although I don't know that there's a... Like, that's that was a good pick no matter what format you were looking at. Because <laughs> he by totals, he finished inside the top six anyway. But then why, yesterday, did we focus so intently on that top 35 range? 36, really. Well, because in head-to-head, as you move your way down the board... Durability is always useful. But, here's the big but, big fat but, as you get down into that 100 to 120 range, it doesn't really matter anymore. Those guys from a durability standpoint are probably going to put up pretty decent fantasy seasons. Like There are guys that we were talking about in that 110 to 120 range. Um, Kevin Herter. He was number 115 by averages this year, but he played in 69 games, so by totals he was number 72. There's a pretty good argument to be made that in head-to-head, having a guy ranked 112 who played almost every ball game is extremely useful. That 72 rank by totals means he was there putting up non-zero numbers for your team. And that's useful because you really only want to stream one or two slots in a head-to-head unlimited starts league. And Kevin Herter, by all accounts, is probably your 10th, 11th round draft pick. So he's not your streaming guy. If he is, you're in really good shape. And that's fine. I mean, he, he probably is on a bunch of teams, but it could be a worse roster slot. And if you don't have a bunch of injuries, then great, you can stream the Kevin Herter slot and you can try to get five or six games out of that slot on your your team every week but it's really damn nice to know that if you need to you could just set it and forget it with that dude and you'd end up with a guy who totaled up at number 72 in Roto he is useless in Roto you want every per game meaning every game's cap you use to be from someone putting up top 75 value or better That should be your target in a 12-team league. It's impossible to achieve that marker. It's not going to happen. But a guy putting up top 115 numbers in a roto league sucks because that's a guy you can find on the waiver wire. It doesn't matter if they're durable or not. I don't want 72 games on my ledger from a guy posting top 115 marker. I want 72 games from someone two to three rounds better than that at the absolute worst and it, it's impo- we can't look at the numbers. We can't look at end-of-season rankings to find these guys because it changes every two weeks. That's why roster churn in Roto is actually extraordinarily useful. If you're constantly picking up a, a backup who's being thrust into a bigger role and posting top 80 value for one or two weeks at a time, that's really useful. And you can do that with three, four, five roster slots if you want in a Roto league. There's nothing stopping you. You can't do that in head-to-head because you probably only have three or four moves you can make every week. Roto, you don't have to worry about that crap. You don't have to worry about making sure you're not getting any zeros. You can sit on an injured guy. Let me take one example. This year, and it actually involves drafting an injured player. I know, gasp. And that player is Kemba Walker. Here in on air, live, without actually knowing the results of the discussion we're about to have, we'll figure out if Kemba Walker, if drafting Kemba Walker around 95 or 100, that was generally where he was going this year, actually turned out to be a good idea in Roto. We know it was a terrible idea in head-to-head, because you sat on an injured player for a couple months, a guy you knew was going to sit out back-to-backs. Just don't do it in head-to-head at all. And almost never do it in Roto. Really almost. Certainly not with any pick that is going to dramatically impact the complexion of your team. Like, don't draft an injured guy inside the top 50 or 60. Because those guys are so damn good. You can't be giving up a fifth round pick on someone that you don't know when they're going to play. That'll kill you. And it happens. It happens often. I'm trying to remember where Jaron Jackson Jr. went in my draft. I think he was later than that. I think he went at like 75 or 80. But even in there, guys getting drafted around 80 were like Draymond Green, Julius Randle, Colin Sexton, Mikael Bridges, Brooke Lopez, fellow injured player Christoph Porzingis. Mike Conley was going in there. OG Ananobi was going in there. So you can't you can't blow a, a pick in that neighborhood on someone you don't know when they're coming back. In head-to-head, absolutely, you cannot do it. Because guys don't come back from long injuries and then play every game. There was a time where you could do it and say, you know what, I'm just going to take some zeros at the beginning of the year, or I have one IL spot in this league, and I'm going to stay afloat, and then two months into the season, I'm going to get a top 40 guy the rest of the way. Well, the problem now is that even when these guys come back, they don't play in back-to-backs anymore. Anybody that's out for that long at the beginning of a season is going to have injury management all year long. So you just can't do it in head-to-head. There's no reasonable... There's no way you could talk me into it. None. None of these guys. There was not a single player over the last couple of years that started the year hurt that ended up as a good head-to-head draft pick precisely because they don't play every game when they come back. Because sometimes they do hit their mark from a per-game standpoint. And that's why we're going to talk about the other side of this same discussion, which is, why am I not talking about durability for guys later as much as I am for guys early in the draft? Well, we already covered one point of that, which was, you know, in a head-to-head, durable guys late... That's fine. That still works for you. It gives you a nice, safe thing to just sort of plant your flag in towards the... Uh, not necessarily the end of your draft, but like 10th round type of guys. 10th round type of guys, you Just you get someone that's in there every day. Great. In Roto, I don't really care that much about it at that juncture, and this is why. Kemba actually is a great example of this. You could use Kristaps Porzingis too if you really wanted to, although um again he you had to draft him earlier and so you were really at that point you were giving up on other guys that were not necessarily sure bets but pretty close to sure bets like mikhail bridges was a sure bet colin sexton was a sure bet to to be at least good if not better than that bridges was better than that sexton was good Kemba Walker was a little different, because he was going about two rounds after those guys. He was going in the 100 to 110 range in a lot of drafts, which is around when guys like... Shoot, I'll just look at one of my results, and I'll tell you the guys that were drafted around Kemba Walker in one of the leagues I'm in with the pretty competitive Roto League. Aaron Gordon, Blake Griffin, Evan Fournier, Boyan Bogdanovich, Kevin Love, Kemba Walker... Chris Boucher, there's your winner in that group. DeMarcus Cousins, Tyler Hero, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who became a winner later in the year, but also had his injury stuff early and didn't really have a role carved out until he came back and everyone else was hurt. Alfred Payton and Dante DiVincenzo. That was the round, that was the ninth round of one of the drafts that I'm looking at right now, where Kemba, I took him actually, right smack in the middle at pick 102 in this league. How did that work out? The answer is, well, it's a little bit of a mixed bag because Kemba Walker, on a per-game basis, he played 43 games this year, he was number 61. That's pretty freaking good. So by that account, he beat his draft slot on a per-game basis by 40, three and a half rounds. It was a guarantee, pretty much. Same basic story for Kristaps Porzingis when he came back. He was a top 25 guy when he played this year in his 43 games. Jared Jackson Jr. didn't really play at all, so not part of the discussion. You could pick either one of these guys, because you knew they were going to beat their ADP on a per-game basis. The question all came down to when were they going to play? How many games was it going to be? It wasn't going to be a full complement. Was it going to be half the season? More? Less? They both made it a little bit more than half. And I think from a Roto standpoint, I would actually call those slight victories. Because Porzingis in this draft went at pick 80 or so, and Kemba at 102. So it was about two rounds separating the two guys. By totals, now we dive in a little bit more. By totals, Porzingis uh, eclipsing Kemba Walker, not surprisingly, Porzingis was number 86, and Kemba was number 121. Neither one of those sounds great. Neither one of those hit their ADP. But we are talking Roto, where you get Christoph Porzingis and 29 Dante DiVincenzo's. You add 29 games of Dante DiVincenzo to a guy who was number 86 by totals anyway. He does beat his late 70s, early 80s ADP by quite a lot. Kemba Walker at 121. You add 29 Dante DiVincenzos to that? Absolutely, it wins it. You want to know how I know? Because Dante DiVincenzo played 66 games. So you got 66 Dante DiVincenzos, who was, by the way, we already talked about, right around top 120 on a per-game basis. And in 66 games, he was number 94. So take Kemba. Take 29 Dante DiVincenzos, who again was on pace. If you got 72 Dante DiVincenzos, you were basically talking about a top 90 guy already. Replace 43 of those 72 DiVincenzos with top 60 level Kemba Walker and that top 90 rockets up the board. So both guys end up beating their ADPs, but only because you fill in the slots around them. So here on this weird Wednesday show, the episode wherein Dan Bespris, guy who yells at you not to ever draft injured players to start your year, I offer you this, in Roto, if you can draft an injured player who you know will obliterate their ADP outside the top 80, I now give you my blessing. I now give you my blessing. Although I will, I reserve the right to go back and amend that to top 90. Because as we saw this year, inside the top 80, you still had quite a few pretty damn interesting dudes. Uh, the sixth round takes you through to 72. Ha, huh, you know what's funny? Jaron Jackson went at 81. Ha, <laughs> yeah, he went at 81 in this draft, so he would actually fall on the outside of that. Porzingis went at 79. Whoops. So he actually would have fallen on the good side of it. So that's not fair for me to pick 80. I really think, as you look at the guys around there, Conley, Ananobi, Jeremy Grant, LaMelo Ball, Rashawn Holmes, Norman Powell, these are all guys, by the way, that were going before 90. When you get on the other side of 90, the pickings got slim. On the other side of 90, from this draft that I'm looking at, some of the best players floating around out there, I mean, they're, they're like seven, eight picks apart andrew wiggins is one of them where the hell did i just say he finished on a per game basis what where the crap was wiggins at the end of this year 88 all right so that's useful andrew wiggins he went at uh 96 uh boucher went at 103 where are we putting bogdan where did he finish this year bogdan uh Bogdan Bogdanovich was number 51, but he only played in 44 games on the season. So that was a little bit of a weird one. And his season was dramatically impacted by Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter missing pretty much the entire year. But we can't hold that against him. So we'll call Bogdan a win in Roto, at the very least. Uh, So he went at 106. No, is that right? No, yeah, 106. Oh, boy, who the hell else was mixed in there? Keep going, and I'm struggling to find someone who actually hit remotely close to value this year. Delon Wright at 123. Terry Rozier at 124. Larry Nance at 125. Yaka at 129. After LaMarcus Aldridge got abandoned ship. Mason Plumley at 130. Um, so the point of all that is after pick 90... Uh, You can pretty much count on two hands. The guys that stayed on rosters the rest of the way. This is a 15-round draft, by the way. So you're talking about half the draft. And like maybe 10 guys made it. Of the top 90, probably like 80 of them (laughs) ended up on... That's not true. Probably like 70 of them ended up on teams. And of the last 90, it was like 10. Really, it's overwhelming how things tip right around that point. So that's why I'm saying... Kemba Walker at 102 in Roto, yeah, that's fine. And that's about where those types of guys end up floating. Porzingis didn't fall that far because everybody knew his his upside was top 25. Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't fall that far because his upside was top 50. But nobody really believed in Kemba Walker anymore. So there are exceptions to the Dan Bespris rule in Roto after the top 90. In head-to-head, I think we all need to be a bit more ruthless. But that's a story for another day. And that story, or that day, is probably tomorrow. Tomorrow, we talk about ruthlessness in head-to-head leagues. That's the topic for our Thursday show. I know not many of you guys are listening for updates on how play-in stuff is going, but just a few quick thoughts on what we saw on Tuesday night before we... Turn our attention to the Western Conference play and stuff. We'll make this segment relatively quick, and then we'll roll you into our uh, m- much ballyhooed. Well, we'll roll you into anything. We'll roll you into the end of the show, but then we'll roll you into the the aforementioned uh, Ballyhooed topic, which was, of course, ruthlessness. But of course, very quickly here before we wrap things up, this is a show that covers NBA topics as they emerge. And on Tuesday night, there was stuff that wasn't fantasy-related. The Indiana Pacers walloped, I mean, smoked the Charlotte Hornets right from the the opening tip. The Horn went, and the Hornets were cooked. They were bad in every respect. They could not stop anything Indiana was doing. And the only advantage they really had in the ballgame was getting to the free-throw line. But they got out-rebounded, they got out-shot, they got out-assisted. It was a beatdown, and it was a team that you could see, just was not ready for the intensity to get ratcheted up like that. Lamelo Ball seemed perhaps a bit overwhelmed, although there's also an argument that maybe he's still not 100% healthy. Terry Rozier, who just had a brilliant season, he couldn't get his shots to drop. Miles Bridges kind of had the only good game, and that's probably the best story out of Charlotte this year. I know Lamelo Ball is going to get all the accolades, but the fact that Miles Bridges did finally turn a corner when everybody else went down, it was sort of a it was trial by fire. It was one of those scenarios where he was content to be kind of a high-flying role player. And then Rozier and Graham and Hayward and Ball. And everybody went down. Everyone around him. And it was Miles versus the world. And he, he learned how to be more aggressive. And then as guys came back, he kept his aggression. He built up a confidence that didn't go away. So he'll be someone... From a fantasy perspective, that goes a lot higher next year. As a guy that would had to been to this point in his young career, fantasy wise, big time underperformer. But he stepped up in a big way. Yes, Gordon Hayward's return will impact him, but I don't think anything can take the edge away that he built this year. So all in all, pretty good year for the Charlotte Hornets. Everybody, you know, they'll they'll come to their post game pressers and say things like, nobody oh, expected us to even get this far, and that's not really true because. A lot of us, those of us who are gambling sorts, we all had the Hornets as an over. That was a team that was clearly making moves, trying to win ballgames this year. And that's kind of all you need when you're in the bottom chunk. I think the only club, in looking at the way that the East shook out, we probably had the Wizards lower and the Raptors higher. But otherwise, that's pretty close to where a lot of us had the Hornets. Maybe, what, two, three wins ahead of pace? So not as big of a surprise as they would like it to feel, but they were a good team. They played well, and they just got run over by a team that was better prepared for a playoff-intensity ballgame. TJ McConnell, Malcolm Brogdon, Demontis Sabonis, even even lower-usage guys like uh, uh, Doug McDermott. I almost called him Dylan McDermott again. Uh, So Indiana moves on to face the loser of Game 2 from last night, which, of course, the Washington Wizards, who shot 44% as a team, Celtics shot 40 and won. There are a number of reasons why you could point it at that and why it happened. Celtics won the turnover battle by 10, the free throw battle by 12 attempts. Free throws were a big deal in this one. Washington committed 31 personal fouls. And then the big one, three-pointers. Celtics had 15, Wizards had three. That's not going to get it done. You have to shoot better than 43.5% if none of your shots are from, none of the shots you're making at least, are from three point land. Jason Tatum had 50 to pace the Celtics. Kemba Walker had 29, and they got enough. The one thing I noticed, though, in looking at these two games on Tuesday night is that these weren't very good teams. They weren't. The Celtics are the seven seed, so they're locked in now. They'll take on the Nets in the first round, and they're going to get blistered by Brooklyn. I don't think the Nets are as good as maybe others do in the media. I don't, I actually don't know what the talking heads are saying about Brooklyn right now. Th- they'll be exposed at some point for their defensive shortcomings. They're going to beat a lot of people with offense, and they'll do that to the Celtics, but they'll run into a challenge at some point along, along the way when they see a team that can score almost as well as they can. That might be Milwaukee. Regardless, Celtics have not looked good. Wizards didn't look good. Pacers looked good, but only because they played the Hornets, who looked the worst out of all of them. And the reason I bring this up is because as we pivot over to the Western Conference, the matchups seem oddly more compelling, although I would argue the Spurs kind of suck. But the Lakers, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, they're actually pretty good teams. Lakers had 42 wins this year. They were technically tied with the Mavericks and the Blazers. It was a three-way tie for the five seed, but uh, tiebreakers went to the other two teams there. So Lakers fell to the seven... Slot Warriors at 39 and 33. There was a pretty clear cutoff. The Celtics were a 500 team this year, and they ended the year very poorly. The team kind of trending down, going the wrong way as the playoffs approached. They would have been the 10th seed in the Western Conference, and uh, Wizards, yeah, Wizards would have and what Pacers would have edged out the Spurs, but again, those two teams playing Eastern Conference opponents, anyway. It's not the point of this show. We did a really nice show on fantasy stuff. All of that to say, I don't know that any of these teams in the Eastern Conference are going to make any noise. They, They all looked pretty bad to me yesterday. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. In any event, Spurs at Grizzlies. Memphis favored by four. I think the Grizz win this game going away. Warriors, Lakers, Lakers by five and a half. That's a number that, remember we talked about it yesterday, or two days ago, that the opening line was Lakers by like four, four and a half. And that seemed crazy low to me. I thought, oh, maybe somebody bet bet into it already. But as it turns out, uh, no, it just hadn't worked its way up to now probably where it should be, which is Lakers by five or six. Uh, In terms of totals, I really don't know. These play-in games are pretty weird. I love betting totals during the actual playoffs because you can get a feel for what teams are going to do from an adjustment standpoint on a game-to-game basis. What we do know is that the Spurs are playing poorly, but they've got a lot of veterans The Grizzlies got bumped in the bubble last year, so they have a lot of prove-it going on. So they're going to be... I think Memphis is going to come ready to go. And then the Warriors and Lakers... We've seen the Lakers have actually done a pretty good job with the Warriors this year. They have a a pretty damn good game plan there. And then the question... I'd be all over the Lakers. I would have been all over the Lakers at four and a half if I knew really how close LeBron is to right. I can't believe that he's better than like 80 or 85% right now. And so... When you, when you register that, and in the postseason where these guys do need to play 36 to 40 minutes of all game, the, the big-time superstars do, that's enough to where a Lakers by 7 or 8 win might go down to Lakers by 2 or 3. Like, that's, that's a big deal. Everything comes into focus in the postseason because depth is not as important. You need your superstars to be healthy and right. So I'm leaving these ones alone. Again, we'll be diving in. On the betting stuff, when we get to the actual playoff part of the proceedings. And that should be a lot of fun. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. This was your uh, whatever the hell day it is, Wednesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Back at you tomorrow. More good stuff on tap. Sit tight. Fear not. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Please drop a five star review on the pod, should you feel so inclined. And hit me up. We're still recruiting here as the offseason kicks into gear at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D A N B E S B R I S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com once again promo codes for our sponsors hoopball20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order at manscaped.com or just hoopball at mybookie.ag but again don't do anything over there without talking to me first hit me up at dan Vespers on twitter say hey dan you talked about a prize i'll get you hooked up would be something good promise all right later everybody